Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we have Matt Natale joining us from Virtual. Uh, Virtual is Australia's leading equity crowdfunding platform. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you coming on board and sharing your startup journey within Virtual and then also helping other businesses raise equity to, con- to continue their journey. So there's a little bit in this. Yeah, thanks. Delighted to be on the program. Looking forward to the chat. So Matt, tell us a little bit about your background, your history. I've read into you originally started out as a lawyer. So how did it all start out and where did you begin your journey, especially in this space? Yeah. So I still am a lawyer. I still have a practicing certificate, mm-hmm. but I worked, I worked in private practice initially at Hall and Wilcox and then at Ashurst for a few years uh, in financial services regulatory work. I had observed what was happening overseas in the UK in terms of equity crowdfunding and saw that it was a new way for early stage businesses to raise raise money online by issuing shares. And I thought it was really interesting and was discussing it with a few of the partners that I worked with. And it's funny thinking about this now because the response from a lot of them was, that'll never happen here. It's, it's too risky. We're telling <laughs> investors. <laughs> can't get involved in in these kinds of things and and they're absolutely right it is it is very risky but here we are and it's a couple of years in now and a you know a a big future ahead of us the uk regime the two largest platforms over there raised 400 million pound between them last year alone and Mm. you know we did we did just under 30 million in australia so um Mm -hmm. it looks yeah it's there's a long way to go did you yeah, raise definitely. the funds on your own platform? I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you raise the funds on your own platform? So we didn't raise 30 million for our oh. business. Yeah, that, that's 30 million across the industry. Ah, oh, okay. Last last year we did about I think 17 or 18 million of that. Mm-hmm. So. Oh well, cool. Yeah. So a big chunk of it. So in terms of starting out this space, what sort of team did you have? How did you go about it? How did you jump into really pulling a piece of technology together that allows you to do this? Because there's a lot of, obviously, the galleries behind this. There's a whole financial components of this. And you mentioned risk. So how did you approach it? Yeah. So I suppose the, the second part to, to starting virtual was my business partner, Alan Crabb, co-founded Possible. Mm-hmm. And Alan and I both contributed to a government a consultation paper on equity crowdfunding a few years ago. So we were kind of aware of each other and then got talking about how Possible, which is a reward crowdfunding platform, would p- play in the equity space. It took about five years for the for the government to figure out that it actually wanted to do this and then pass the legislation to do it. So Alan and I were working together and figuring out how how Possible would would, would play in, in the equity crowdfunding space. And we decided to create a new business, which is virtual. And I suppose our original thinking was that we could just, you know, Possible's a reward crowdfunding platform. Equity crowdfunding is not that much different. And we could just adapt what had already been built at Possible to, to, to build this new platform. And we had a CTO, have a CTO, Josh. And the three of us realized actually pretty early on in the piece that the businesses are fundamentally different and we needed to start from scratch. And it's proved to be the right decision because, you know, we put all of our effort into the user experience and really kind of questioning everything about the capital raising process for early stage businesses. Our third director, who's, who's our chairman now, Adam Byers, 
I knew personally, and he'd finished up a role at ANZ. He was head of equity capital markets at ANZ Securities for many years. Okay. And I just started working at Virtual and told Adam that this was the, the future of capital raising for early stage businesses. And you know we were very pleased for Adam to join us. And then when he saw, I suppose, what we built or what we'd started to build and the way that we were going about it, he... Yeah, I suppose endorsed it in the sense that we'd actually taken a first principles approach to to capital raising and you know built tech to to support these these first principles. So yeah, it was a you know looking back, it was I think a very effective execution of of building building technology for for what is you know often a fairly complicated and expert driven process. Yeah, what were guess, some of those? I was going to say, what were some of those early warning signs that let you, like when you realized that Puzzle wouldn't be applied to virtual? I think one of the fundamental issues that we felt existed with the crowdfunding platforms at the time, reward and equity crowdfunding platforms, was that they take what we call a platform focus in the way that they're showing information. And the, the most valuable piece of real estate often, less so now, but it was often the, the browse company's page. So... These are the deals that the platform has live at the moment. And, you know, it's certainly hearing of Alan's experience, possible and, you know, and other platforms, you know, if you've got a big campaign on or, or the, the people that are running the campaigns want to get to that top spot. So when you go to the you know, puzzle page, virtual, the Crowdcube page or whatever it was, the, what you're hit with initially is that company or a, a range of companies, but the ones that have the prime spot are the ones that get the most traffic. And fundamentally, we thought that there was an issue with that because it, it kind of creates a bandwidth issue for how many campaigns that the platform can host. So we decided to take a different approach, which we call being issuer or company focused and created the virtual company profile page. So all of our activity is driven to a unique company profile that each company has. They have the same URL for their lifetime of using the platform. And all of the advertising activity that we have for a campaign is driven to, to that page. We have a browse companies page, but it's less important. We don't really drive any traffic to it. People find it once they've come to the virtual platform, but it's usually in response to an advertisement or some action that a specific company has taken. The other thing that fell out of that was using an activity card on the profile page to cycle through whatever activity the company was undertaking at that point in time. So, you know, companies could come and create a profile on virtual, but without actually doing an equity crowdfunding campaign, we thought that was a really uh, valuable and powerful feature. We found even in our own experience out raising capital, you have lots of conversations with people and then you end up with lists and having to check the list for the last time that you interacted with someone by having a page, a publicly viewable page with an activity feed and, and a really high level summary of your company, you can keep people updated or if people are interested in what you're doing, then that's something that they can do on a, by themselves without you having to you know, update IMs or update your pitch deck and continually go back to update these people. And that was probably the first kind of key change, key difference between virtual and possible that showed us that actually we need to build something uh, something different. I mean, it's probably very good to learn that very early on in the piece. 
rather than investing on the wrong down the wrong path. So with that, I think um, there's some interesting takeaways there. So you've created a a place for a business to basically advertise the fact from from a business perspective. So treating the business as a product and looking at all right, this is how the business currently sits in the in the environment, in the industry, its opportunities, rather than it's not what you put on a website, right? So I think there's a little bit to that in terms of a place where people can land and put their information about the business itself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's really driven our the way that we approach executing these crowdfunding campaigns as well. And and this is probably more of a, a business approach rather than the technology one. The technology supports it. But with capital raising, particularly for early stage businesses, what would used to happen was that, you know, corporate advisors or people operating in this space would cultivate a list of interested investors and then charge businesses for access to that list. So, you know, okay. commonly I'd say we've, we've got X number of investors within our network. If you come to us, you pay us some money, we'll help you prepare an IM and show this opportunity to, to these investors. Now, the people on these lists don't feel the same level of loyalty as to ownership that the people cultivating the lists do. Mm-hmm. In an environment where we can advertise these offers nationally, and, and that's probably the key game changer of the crowdfunding regime is that we can advertise these offers on social media, we decided that we need to put all of our effort into showing companies' opportunity to the, to a relevant audience in the most efficient and cost-effective way. So having the list becomes almost irrelevant because it, it's all about finding the relevant audience for each company treating each campaign as a discrete project. And the tech really supports that because you know we can have multiple campaigns on virtual at, at any time but all of the audience are different. So, you know, our virtual's audience is the, the the sum, the aggregate of the audiences of all of the campaigns that we've hosted. And that that's really kind of underpinned our focus for building tech and also building out our business is that it's it's company first. We're committed to telling the stories of the companies that, that trust us to host their offers. Probably want to dig in, Matt, a little bit around what you do on the back end so to help businesses actually raise because obviously there's there's the capital part how do people actually yep put money into the platform what do they do how do you protect that what have you done there maybe look a little bit there and then i think we should probably explore what does a business need to do to become become a part of the virtual network i think we'll have that chat in this conversation too yep excellent so in the context of virtual, you're basically allowing a business to market themselves out to the marketplace in terms of an equity capital raise, but also different activities potentially that they're doing throughout the journey. So when they go into that, the whole round of equity funding, uh, what sort of processes and back-end systems do you have in play to ensure that the funding is kept secure and kept coherent to what's actually going on within the capital raise? Yeah, sure. So... In terms of what we need to do from a compliance perspective, we have to keep all application money in a designated client money account. We have a, an Australian financial services license. We were one of the first to receive a license for the, for the new service, it provides a crowdfunding service. So all of that is supported by, we have a third-party payments processor that helps us to, to manage the payments. But all of that is fairly straightforward like the tech josh has done a great job to you know get the tech to a point where it doesn't actually require too much intervention from us but as i mentioned before like it's really an expert driven process that we've tried to kind of 
you know, automate or assist with technology as much as possible. So I might just walk through the virtual process, like what, what the process that a company goes through from first meeting with us to actually executing a successful campaign and, and getting money in the bank. Yeah, it sounds good because I think it's worth exploring that because a lot of people listening may be interested in seeing how this process works and if uh, equity crowdfunding is something for them. So yeah, let's explore that. So essentially, it's it's about an eight to 10 week process and we allow a couple of weeks to work with a company to set up their company profile, which which I mentioned was, is a pretty important feature of our platform, but then also to uh, discuss at a high level the you know the marketing and the media outreach campaign which is also extremely important for crowdfunding offers then we run every company through an expression of interest process and this runs for about three to four weeks now during this period we don't put any information about the offer out there we really rely on the information that's in the company profile so it's a high level summary of the business and often a campaign video as well now during this period Digital marketing is really important. Email lists, all channels that a company has to access their existing audience and grow that audience. But what we're asking investors, potential investors, is really just a couple of pieces of information. Obviously, their contact details, why they're interested in the company, and how much they'd be willing to invest. Now, how much they're willing to invest is really valuable information for us and has become even more so as the platform has, has grown and gathered more data. But it's certainly not money in the bank. But what it does is it enables us to look back and give a company guidance on how much demand is out there for their offer based on what previous campaigns had at the expression of interest level and what they ultimately went on to raise. Now, this is really important because there's a few key aspects of a crowdfunding campaign that, that we need to settle and they are the minimum target. So if the company isn't hasn't raised more than its minimum target within the offer period, no money changes hands. And the maximum target. So if a company hits its maximum target, we have to close the offer. Now, we think that's best practice. We think it's great to turn some people away and have a waiting list of investors that are trying to invest. There's nothing better than you know selling out a show. It's not always possible, but certainly using AI data and structuring a campaign Properly, we want to give every company a chance of that. And we did it most recently with a company called Bunsters. They, they make hot sauce. They hit their maximum target of $2 million. And we're in settlements now, and they've, they've got a waiting list of investors that, that missed out that, um, that we might be able to put in if we have cancellations and things like that. So that's the AOI process. While the AOI is running, I'm typically working with a company on their offer document and making sure that uh, all of the the legal compliance stuff is underway. We like a company to be in a position to open an offer as quickly after they close the EOI as possible. So, and, and the reason for that is it's all about momentum. You know, you, you don't want to go to the effort of heating up a list and then taking three months to, you know, yeah, come back with the offer. Go put their money elsewhere or they can just forget about the process yeah, really. Strike so, yeah. Tight as mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. So campaigns, the best campaigns are run very tightly. So we go through our what's called the gatekeeper process. So Adam Vyas and I are co-signatories on, on that. And that's really doing background checks on the company, on all of the directors and senior managers, but also reviewing the offer document. Now, we don't write the offer document. We give companies a lot of information to help them write their offer document. And it's really, it's a cut down version of a prospectus. And this was 
one of the key features of the crowdfunding regime is that, you know, historically these documents making a public offer of securities would cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in professional service fees and broker fees to, to get these offers done. But now companies, small proprietary limited companies can raise money from the public for a fraction of what, mm -hmm. what that would cost historically. So we review the offer document. We'll give some commercial feedback, obviously legal compliance feedback, make sure that it's, that it's clear, concise and effective is, is the terminology in the financial services law to you know, make sure that, that the offer document's true and correct. Once it's all settled, then we'll open the offer up privately. Now, privately means we're not actively promoting the offer, neither the company or virtual on social media channels. But we will be marketing to a select group of people that have expressed interest to the AI process and then perhaps a broader list. And the goal of this private period is to get, get the company to have that early traction that they can then leverage as social proof to other investors to get more investment in. Because okay. we know that if you open a campaign that's got a minimum target of 500000 and they've only raised 10000 and they've been open a week, mm -hmm. it's not a very attractive proposition. But if you see a campaign that's that's just opened and maybe they're you know, 450000 or a $500,000 target, it looks like it's got traction, momentum, and it's, it's much more attractive. It's all about momentum. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. From that, from that mentality, it's... Is it more of like that herd mentality where if something is going really getting that momentum that a lot more investors jump on board, is that how you seem to find it goes? And if it's too slow to begin with, it can fizzle off. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not revolutionary stuff. Like this is, mm. this is what capital markets do. And mm -hmm. I suppose the psychology behind it or the rationale behind it for a lot of people is, you know, you, you expect that if, if others have invested, then you know, there's a reason that they've, you know, you done their the due diligence or they know the company and they're comfortable with the company and it gives you more comfort and security to investing as well. Now, of course, everyone should read the offer document and form their own view as to whether they invest <laughs> or not. But, you know, I think it's that additional so social proof that gives people comfort that, that, that this is a desirable, attractive opportunity. So within this, what type of businesses should be looking at equity crowdfunding? So is it something that you should be thinking about in a different course of business or is it something everyone could consider, especially in their early stage of businesses? At what type or position should my business be in? Should it be revenue generating? If it's tech, should I have an MVP? Where should I be within the life cycle of a business before I come to someone like virtual? Yeah, great questions. Look, when we started the platform, we decided to quite deliberately describe the businesses that we want to work with is those that have a strong consumer proposition. Okay. I think historically people have thought equity crowdfunding, it's good for, you know, consumer products or B2C companies and, and that's pretty much it. And mm -hmm. that's certainly true, but it does work for other companies as well. And and we've certainly proved that over the last couple of years. So we've done lots of craft breweries and they're great deals to host because you know people can get passionate about beer and you know I, I love craft beer myself so you know they, they typically strong brands and and have a passionate audience around them but then we did an offer for a data business servicing the financial planning industry last year that raised over a million dollars okay that doesn't have a you know a, a product or service to end consumers 
but 65% of the people that invested in that offer and the business was called advisor ratings, they're financial planners. And okay. the financial planning industry has gone through you know, a rough a rough few years and, and mm-hmm. unfortunately a lot of people are leaving the industry, but there are a passionate cohort of people that are you know fully vested in the future of financial planning and they have the view that this business, advisor ratings, is part of the solution and part of this, the, the future of the industry and they invested because of it. And we're seeing more and more of these, you know, B2B type, you know, non-obvious you know, crowdfunding candidates come and, and do well on our platform, which, which we're delighted about. So yeah. if there's a customer for the business, there's effectively a customer like for the investing. So there's a, they've carved out a niche. They've got the people in the industry who know that, whatever that offer is or that industry, and then they can get on board and see the customers and the investment opportunity, I guess. Absolutely. It, it's finding an audience that cares about your existence, finding an audience that, that cares about and, and you know, will derive a benefit from your success because that's what, you know, that's what this is. You know, a business needing capital to execute their plans and, you know, execute their vision, finding your the, the people that support that is the key. And that's, that's what we do every day is, you know, help companies find these audiences. So back to that question around what stage should I be at as, as a company to look for equity crowdfunding? How early can I be? Can I be seed? Where can I be in terms of my, my business, my structures? What should I have in play before we, we venture down this model? Can I come to you with a napkin idea? <laughs> yeah. have to be a bit more further progress from that. I look delighted to chat about your napkin idea. Yeah. We, look, we have lots of meetings, and uh-huh. like I've never never regretted a meeting, a, you know, a prospect call because mm-hmm. I mean this is what I love. It's very different to what I used to do when I was working in private practice. You know, I really enjoy working with people that are starting businesses and wanting to build things. It's it's very energizing. In terms of the stage, I think we're stage agnostic and we can be stage agnostic because of the way that we've built our process. That mm-hmm. we don't we certainly don't value companies or tell companies what they should go to market with as a pre-money valuation. We'll give some feedback and okay. obviously we'd like companies to take that feedback on board. But our EOI process has been built to enable companies to get feedback from the people that will ultimately invest in their offer. Because mm-hmm. after all, like things are worth what people are prepared to pay for them. Correct. So, you know, I say to companies, like if you've got enough support for this offer with the list that you've built at this price, well then, you know, what more can I say about, what more can we say about this? So understanding that actually opens up possibility to do offers for super early stage businesses, which we've hosted a few, provided that the company is upfront and frank about what stage they're at with their business. But then they're also going to need to be, you know, frank on their valuation and being, you know, ready to to justify that to investors. And it's a balancing act, but it enables us to work with very early stage businesses that might have more modest expectations of how much they can raise and at what valuation. But that's something that most companies are able to figure out by going through the process. Valuation is always an interesting one for me. So how do you, um, you encourage or guide a company on establishing their value, especially if there's no revenue in the business, it's an idea, maybe it's early stage. What do you do? What do you do to guide them on the valuation? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one because 
we work with businesses across so many different industries. Mm-hmm. Certainly with craft beer, you know, the, the other crowdfunding offers that we've hosted for craft brewers is a data point, a relevant data point. Then there's, you know, revenue and, and that's another relevant data point that, you know, craft brewers always like to, or pe- people in that industry always like to compare from offer to offer, like what revenue multiples they've got or how many, how, you know, millions of litres of beer they produce a year. If a company's really spinning their tires on this, there's a couple of really good services that we help or that we recommend that they can use. Uh, so Equidam, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's an online tool for applying established valuation multiples. So you have a scorecard method, discounted cash flow, and so on. And you basically plug in your data and it'll kind of give you, you know, the different the valuation applying in a rigorous way, the you know the four key methodologies, and then an average. But you can't because a lot of this stuff necessitates a, a forecast or an, or an outlook. It's actually a bit tricky for us in a retail regime. And this is my compliance hat coming on again. I understand but, that. So we can't include prospective financial information, and certainly not for like a pre-revenue, pre-launch business. So mm-hmm. it does actually make it really tricky for an investor to kind of talk about the future of their business without talking about forecasts, which sophisticated investors usually expect in an IM. So there's a few ways that the businesses can go about this, but ultimately we default back to a company arriving at something that they think their crowd of investors will support. And that's why looking at the EOR list, you know, someone might've expressed interest at 20,000 or $50,000. Yes. That person's probably going to have some really valuable feedback on how commercial the offer is. So, so there's no you... neat, you know, neat solution. I think it's just you know first principles and convincing the you know mm-hmm. the these people to lead the round. Get it. So in the in the uh, expression of interest component, would you be putting evaluation up? Or would you be more just looking at expression of interest and then surveying back on that yeah. particular market? Yeah, quite deliberately, we don't put information about the offer or the valuation at that at that okay. early stage. Okay. And look, I mean, it's a principle of not wanting people to like self-disqualify or self-filter, you know, mm. like mm-hmm. you want to give them enough information so they're interested about you and then have this opportunity for engagement because, you know, often... You know, companies learn a lot through the process as well. So you don't want people to be self-filtering on things that actually might be subject to change. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So from the the learning component, expression of interest. But just say we we get fifty people express interest. Are you directly communicating, or is the company directly communicating with those people? Is it all online? How does this work? How do we engage with our investors? Yeah, directly communicating. So like we use the platform to build the list and okay. the. You know, we've got the dashboard functionality now, which mm-hmm. kind of gives people real-time insight on how the list is going and, you know, gives them insights on our previous campaigns and what they okay. can expect to raise, which, you know, I, I know companies like like to look at and it's a bit hard to explain in the, in the abstract. It becomes a lot more real for people once they launch their campaign and then the real data starts to come in. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a list, it's a contact list. So... If people have expressed interest of you know fifty, two hundred fifty dollars, few thousand dollars, you can probably interact with them by email and sending out bulk emails to those. But certainly, people that express interest at higher amounts, 
it's optional for these people to leave their mobile number, but most people do. And, you know, I think that's an opportunity for a company to just give them a call. And I mean, we're in COVID times, so they're not going out and having coffees, but they're certainly right. catching up with them, you know, online or, you know, having phone calls. And it's a very similar process to, to capital raising. It's just, you know, a digital way of mm-hmm. finding the audience, building the list, yes, and then ultimately taking the investment too. So let's talk a little bit of that. So what sets capital raising with a crowd, because technically it is individual investors anyway that are existing in this, from going to a VC pitching to those or from going friends, family to begin with, or from finding a strategic investor or partner that could potentially add more value than just cash to a business. So when would I make the decisions around going the crowdfunding route? What things should I be considering? I'd say that equity crowdfunding really is all of the above. Mm-hmm. So okay. most offers that we host have mm-hmm. family and friends component, okay. a strategic investor component, angel investor component, and sometimes a VC component. I think the Australian VCs, certainly the larger ones, they you know they're not as active in equity crowdfunding in Australia yet, and I will emphasise yet. But also like. A lot of these venture capital firms started off doing very early stage investments and then as their funds have grown, they've moved to investing in later stage businesses. Some early stage businesses still, but the majority are later stage. And I think that's a systemic issue in Australia for startups and early stage business. Mm. Because, you know, how can we keep the pipe full for Mm -hmm. these later stage VC investors if we don't have a thriving early stage capital industry. And yeah, 100% agree. So all the money from that, later, or it seems to be going to later stage, less risk, bigger money. But yeah, if you don't have that, the, the pipeline, pipeline. Uh, coming through, uh, you're, you, you're going to end really up with not much left in three to five years. So it's going to be challenging. Yeah, that's right. So I suppose that's where we feel as a platform, we can, and, and an industry, we feel we can, we can really add value and we like to think that the businesses, this cohort of businesses that we've funded, that mm-hmm. some of them will end up getting later stage funding from VCs or listing on ASX or, or doing any number of things that the businesses do when they go on and, and get bigger. But I suppose to wrap this all up is crowdfunding really wraps this up neatly for an early stage business. So if you're not doing a crowdfunding offer, you need to make a small scale offer under the Corps Act. So you're limited to no more than 20 investors, no more than $2 million within 12 months, and you can't advertise, so you can't tell anyone about it. So it's a no-brainer for most companies because equity crowdfunding enables them to take on an unlimited number of investors, raise up to $5 million every 12 months, mm-hmm. and advertise their offer to you know a, a national audience. So And often... Almost every offer is has a, a wholesale component to it. So a wholesale investor, someone that invests more than, for us, someone that invests more than $10,000, which we have to establish their status as a wholesale investor with an accountant certificate. So every campaign that we host, there's you know at least a handful of investors that are investing over $10,000 that would otherwise be classified as you know angel investors mm-hmm. or professional investors or whatever you want to you know call them. But I think what this shows is crowdfunding, it's a vehicle for fundraising. It is a neat and efficient vehicle for companies to raise funds rather than, you know, I suppose, a discrete source of funds. 
I suppose it's probably a good sign for those angel investors too. If they see a lot of support from the small scale investors, then that could be a good sign for them to jump in too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this has happened overseas in the UK. There are some studies from Cambridge University. They do an alternative finance report every couple of years. And I think a couple of years ago, they said that the level of institutionalization for equity crowdfunding, and that is, you know, investments by angel investors and funds accounted for about 50% of the industry. And anecdotally, what we understand happened is that a lot of these professional investors they would look at the crowdfunding platforms and see opportunities on the platforms that they hadn't come across in their existing networks. And I think that was the tipping point or the realisation that actually it's far more efficient to just look at the crowdfunding platforms to identify these opportunities and originate deals than just relying on their personal networks and going to startup events alone. (laughs) Yeah, because it's only, it's a closed network, right? And um... I think this opens up the horizon of everyone across Australia can put their their company on a, a platform like virtual and promote to anyone across Australia. Plus, you get overseas investors coming into the platform, it's predominantly just Australians that can participate. Look, it's their Australian offers under the Australian crowdfunding regime. The difficulty that we have with overseas investors is yes. that we don't want to fall foul, or we don't want companies rather to fall foul of overseas securities laws. So there are Australian offers to Australian investors. Occasionally we'll have overseas investors that come across, you know, these opportunities and, and we kind of deal with those on a case by case basis, but they certainly need to acknowledge that wherever they are located, that it's lawful for them to, to make the investment. Okay. Makes sense. Now on a big picture note. In the current climate, sitting through COVID right now, locked away in our own homes, what type of businesses are you seeing pitching for investment? What sort of opportunities are you seeing open up in the marketplace as a result of what's going on in the economy and within the whole uh, ecosystem of what is COVID and the impact it's having? Yeah, I think, look, ours is a very broad church. and We've got a very diverse range of businesses that we've hosted on the platform. COVID... Look, it started escalating in March and, you know, looking back, I think fortuitously we had an offer that was live at the time and that already raised about a million dollars. And and this company is it's called the Sea Bin Project. So basically they're trash skimmers, they're bins that sit in the water, usually deployed at like marinas and harbours and just collect waste, waste plastic really. So that already raised a million dollars and then COVID really started escalating here and we were very nervous uh, as I mean as everyone was for obvious reasons but Definitely. in terms of w- what it meant for this campaign and also our business uh, you know the equity crowdfunding industry we were watching very carefully what was happening to this campaign and I suppose we were concerned that all investment activity would just drop off and that it would it would go dead and they raised about 600,000 in the last two weeks of the campaign and ultimately raised $1.8 million. So okay. this was as COVID was escalating. Mm. They had two investors, larger investors that were going to invest between them about $1.5 million. So okay. it, this, but, th- but that just evaporated. So like this campaign could have been the equal highest campaign under the regime to date. But, mm. you know, these larger investors were just 
obviously distracted by everything what was going else on. that was going on. Mm-hmm. But it was really encouraging for us that we were still able to get a deal done in this environment, particularly by large numbers of smaller investors, which is what we do well. So then moving forward, it gave some encouragement to the other campaigns that were in the pipeline. And the first one that opened and closed uh, post-COVID was a small medical device company called Needle Calm, and they raised about 130000 and okay. And we just thought in this environment, like any amount of capital... Is um, good. Is tremendous. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's probably, this, you know, one of the... This, it is the smallest raise that we've done, but we would say to companies usually 150 is probably the minimum of what you should aim for, just given mm-hmm. the time and effort to do a crowdfunding campaign. But we were really thrilled with that one. And then shortly after a business called Outland Venom, opened and closed post-COVID, raised over a million dollars, $1.3 million. Now, this is a company that, you know, serves a higher purpose, if you like, and, you know, they're committed to ending uh, human trafficking by paying uh, their workers in Cambodia a living wage and, you know, Meghan Markle's worn their jeans and, mm-hmm. you know, all sorts of stuff. Okay. This is a very strong brand and yeah, well-supported. Mm. But then that's, these were the kinds of campaigns that we thought, they're probably the only ones that we can do in this environment. And that was probably right back then. But actually, our platform's really busy at the moment with a diverse range of businesses. So I think these big marquee campaigns were great because they gave everyone the confidence that like crowdfunding is still open for business. And then, you know, we're almost approaching what we were expecting to do around this, you know, this time of the year. Like we're almost back to back to normal. That's a good sign for everyone. There's some confidence still out in the marketplace, especially from the smaller investors. Are you finding a little bit of the the smaller investors still existing, but the bigger ones are disappearing, or is it still okay in terms of right now? Yeah, look, March, April, and May, the the larger investors were were not out investing, and Mm -hmm. we saw that on our platform. But lately, you know, they're they're back. Certainly, over the last couple of months, you know, we've we've hosted. You know, we accepted investments. I think the largest investment we've accepted, accepted over the last couple of months was three hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so they're still they're, they're back and they're uh, they're looking for opportunities in this current climate still. I think some are, and I think yeah, probably companies are being a little bit more realistic with uh-huh. know, with valuations as well. I think they're mm-hmm. kind of recognizing that actually any capital raising any capital in this is a positive, is tremendous. So <laughs> yeah, you know, getting a deal away is great. Just on your site. Oh. Oh, I was going to say just quickly, when we're talking about um, small investors, like what level are we talking about that you can start investing at in one of these businesses? Well, host offers, it, it's, look, it's for the company to set the minimum parcel size for their offer, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we'll allow a company to set that as low as $50. Okay, yeah, so then anyone can just get in if they want to try and dabble in, start something. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this is one of the key benefits, right, is that, you think if you're an angel investor, historically, you would need to write a check of five, ten, twenty thousand dollars each time you make an investment. Mm-hmm. So to have a diversified, you know, startup portfolio, you're probably talking, you know, hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, you know, across ten businesses. The same, a similarly diversified portfolio can can be had for a few thousand dollars. It only requires that you need good deal flow, and that's what we're working on providing investors. And there's a lot of variety. I was just looking through your website. Like you said, the hot sauce just rate 
two million dollars um, with fifteen hundred investors in total. So that's that's a there's even yeah, a hospitality group yes. I saw on there earlier. Yes, there's a variety of things. Money to expand bars overseas. So it can be anything. It doesn't have to necessarily. I saw a fine. Uh, fighting your fines, so parking fines. As Fine you know. yeah. yeah, so just a complete a variety of different businesses. The one thing around investing in this space is what's the exit strategy for someone that puts in $50, $100? How do they actually get out if they wanted to? And is there an opportunity for them to do that? What does it look like? Or is that dependent on the business and the opportunity and how it all comes together? Or is there yeah. something structured within these deals that allows them to exit at certain points along the journey? Yeah, look, I mean, similar to an angel investor that invests mm-hmm. in an early stage business, it's it's really limited to, at the moment, it's really limited to the company. And, okay. you know, companies, I mean, they, they certainly can't guarantee what their mm-hmm. future plans are, but, you know, most of them will say, you know, opportunities to exit and realize your investment include, you know, listing on a stock exchange, trade sale, um, a buyout of the company and, and I mean all of the things that you would expect to yeah the normal things mm-hmm. but this is a fundamental issue for crowdfunding and it's something that we've been thinking about for a while and working on for a while so we announced towards the end of last year that virtual was going to provide a service to companies that companies can provide to their shareholders that would actually allow shareholders to sell their shares okay and we're calling it virtual trade, and it's yes. using what's called the low volume markets regime. So okay. it's uh, a low volume market is is a market for securities, but it's not allowed to tr- transact more than a hundred transactions a year, and no more than one and a half million in aggregate value. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we we were going to pilot this service with with a company, but right around the time that COVID hit. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's been put on hold, but we're very keen to provide this service to a company. We've got several of our previously funded companies that we're chatting about with for, for a pilot. But okay. um, mm-hmm. yeah, So that means as an investor, I could put in $100 at the start and then cash out for, say, $120 through the <laughs> potential trade. Potentially. Three months yeah. down the track. <laughs> yeah. 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 But that, they, there's only a limited to 100 potential investors that yeah. can do, do that. that in a given yeah. year. Yeah, that, that's right. And I mean, so we fully expect that we're going to hit over 100 transactions. So these are per company. So it's a, yeah. it's a service mm-hmm. that a company mm-hmm. provides to its shareholders. So, mm-hmm. you know, but we expect that we're going to hit that 100 transaction limit. But it's one of the areas that we've been lobbying the government for additional relief on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's reasonable to expect that, you know, they revisit the low volume markets regime because... It's been in place since, well, I think about about 10 years and okay. perhaps longer. And proprietary limited companies can now have an unlimited number of shareholders, whereas previously they were limited to 50 non-employee shareholders. So I think it's time, you know, circumstances have changed that, you know, 100 transactions perhaps, perhaps you know, doesn't really meet our needs anymore. Yeah, especially yeah. if you're allowing yeah, sure. for the fact of um, crowdfunding in this particular environment, if you've got 1,500, in some cases, to 2,000 investors coming on board, um, waiting three to five years to exit on a $50, $1,000 investment may not be the right scenario for them. But um, there's a lot of different yeah. things that come to play when you consider that as well. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure having a maxed out investment opportunity and then having a pool of other investors sitting there waiting yeah, it's a great thing. It's for a great way to on sell. Yeah, <laughs> correct. But yes. yeah. just with that, would that but, would the pricing be market based, and then would that change the valuation of the business? The first version of this product mm-hmm. that that's one variable that that we want to 
remove. So it would really be the the price would be set by the company. Okay. And then okay. the company would essentially be inviting offers from the market mm-hmm. at the price that they set. And then so the way it works is you know, a company may have demand for its security. So this is why it's really valuable to hit your maximum target. Because mm-hmm. if you've got a waiting list of investors and then you let's say you don't need to raise capital you know, 12 months, 18 months down the track, the company's doing well and you've just released your annual report. But there's a lot of interest and people want to invest in the business. But then you've also got some shareholders that, you know, they've been in for a little while and they wouldn't mind getting out. It's a great way for a company to provide some of that demand to their shareholders because mm-hmm. it, in our view, it releases the, the pressure valve. You know, if you've refreshed your register with people that are aligned, that, you know, are in for the long term and given the opportunity for those that perhaps want to get out or may need to get out, then you're going to be much better off, which is why we think it's a really important service to provide. Yeah, I think the may need to get out is probably one of the things that could be important. So I think giving people the ability to do that opens up the whole network again. And I think it could attract more people to the whole equity crowdfunding space once again. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the struggle that we have is the law, and I yes. suppose the market's licensing regime is mm-hmm. is a beast of a yeah. regime to comply with. And mm-hmm. it's not just for the market operator, but also for companies. So you know, there's a reason why it costs tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to be a listed company because yes. there are a lot of rules that you need to comply with. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't think that early stage businesses need to you know, submit themselves to that level of compliance and oversight and governance early on. So that's why we think this is probably a nice intermediate step that at least meets, partially meets the needs of investors, but, you know, doesn't burden companies with a bunch of stuff that, um, you know, it's more appropriate for them to do when they're larger. Yeah, sounds good, mate. So if I have an idea or a concept or I'm in business and we're looking to scale out, grow out, start a new product, and we consider equity crowdfunding as something we could be doing, what's the first approach? Should we reach out to Virtual, have a chat to someone like yourself and just explore it? What's the first steps in just exploring this avenue of equity funding? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, just reach out. We've got a dedicated campaign management team and then Alan and myself uh-huh. like also do a lot of these meetings. We've got an eligibility form on our website on www.virtual.com and then also raise at virtual.com. If, if you want to send an email, that'll get picked up by one of our team. And then usually we'll, we'll just have a, an initial meeting. One of the campaign managers will have an initial meeting with the, the company and just talk about their idea. And okay. as I said, it's the fun part about what we do is just chatting with businesses and finding out what they're working on. Like we genuinely enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's uh, the best thing we love about our job too. It's early stage ideas and concepts and talking through those. It's good fun. It's a creative environment. It's not just day-to-day business. It's about creating new. And I think creating new opens up different opportunities and uh, the creative mind. So it is a lot of fun. Yeah, that's where the exciting ideas are. Yeah, so definitely. How do we just move this data from A to B faster. <laughs> yeah, correct. So in terms of virtual, how do you vet ideas? So what do you do when someone comes to you? What what do you do to vet them? Because obviously you don't want to just put anyone and everyone on your platform, I would imagine. What's your process? It's a, look, there's a few natural filters in our process. Uh-huh. So, I mean, as easy as we've tried to make it for companies, there is still a lot of work to do. So there's probably a group of companies that, you know, once we explain everything that they need to do and exactly what this is 
you know, they'll probably vet themselves out okay. of the process. Mm-hmm. Then the EOI is another natural filter. And that's really like if a company goes through the EOI process and there is just not enough interest for the offer, then it's pretty obvious not to proceed to the to the next step. Yeah, it's a good um, step no you have in play there that the market can sometimes vet them out, which is a good thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Then obviously our gatekeeper process. So that we're, that's when Adam and I are just making sure that the company is an eligible company to uh-huh. make an offer. And that's, I mean, we have a good handle of this at the outset. You know, we have a kickoff meeting and we kind of, you know, make sure that plans are in place to get the offer document right and mm-hmm. make sure that, um, you know, they're, they're well advised and they understand what they're doing. But that's that's probably another another filter as well. But the other one, and I think this is is probably the most important, is that there's a natural tension that exists in the relationship between a company and the crowd that they're raising from. Now, because people are often raising capital from, you know, family and friends, but more often than not, they're customers. It's a nice tension that exists that keeps companies accountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we find that you know most companies. Uh, are genuinely out there, you know, trying to achieve and trying to do the right thing. Because, you know, if you're, I suppose, not doing the the right thing uh, by your customers, then you have bigger problems than as a business than being able to execute an equity crowdfunding campaign. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> and your likelihood of executing is probably not going to be very high if that's the if you've got a customer problem. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So it's it's not as simple as us saying. You know, these things will kind of disqualify you from this process. We, mm-hmm. we actually, as I've explained, like we spend a lot of time working with these companies to get them to the point of raising capital. And, you know, there are various times throughout that process when, you know, they may bail out, you know, or, or, or we just say, look, you know, it's, it's probably not the right thing for you to be doing at this time. So. Yeah, it makes sense. So if everyone wants to reach out to Virtual and have a look, you mentioned those, so virtual.com. Matt, if anyone wants to get direct contact with you, how might they reach yep. you? Just prefer through Virtual or? Yeah, Matt at virtual.com. Perfect, Matt. Um, nice and easy. Yeah, really appreciate coming on and just opening up our listeners' eyes to equity crowdfunding and the opportunities that exist and your journey through Virtual thus far. And obviously that's a continuous journey and fighting a little bit of legislation and looking to open up a few things as well. So I think there's um, a bit of uh, opportunity in this space for people to explore rather than the, the normal ventures of going to finding your own angel pitching, pitch events, etc. So this could be a very different way to get out to market if you're looking to raise some equity to fulfill your business objectives. So thanks for coming on and joining us, Matt, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Pleasure. Thanks, thanks for that, Matt. Pleasure. Thanks so much right. for having me.